I've heard some real wackos in our day say, well, we need to forgive God. That's blasphemy. Yet that has become a popular teaching amongst a number of women teachers in our country. We need to forgive God. We don't need to forgive God of anything because God is absolutely holy and he never does anything wrong. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are working on a study of the book of Jonah, and today Dr. Brogy continues his message making his way into chapter 4. Although Jonah just saw a great revival, he is extremely focused on himself, which results in him complaining to God. Let's join Dr. Brogy as he looks at Jonah's complaint to the Lord. And Jesus said, Do not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields they are white for harvest. So notice his earnest plea again here in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I said? Circle that word I. While I, circle the word I, was still in my, circle the word my. While I was still in my own country. Therefore, in order to first all this, I, circle the word I. I fled to Tarshish. For I, circle that word, some of you, you need a pen in your hand. This will help you later when you teach it. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Now, I think it's worth noting to his credit that Jonah told God that he was angry. He doesn't just murmur with him like he's can hide it from God, and sometimes we have real legitimate feelings. Sometimes we have illegitimate feelings because they're not driven with the truth of Scripture, but we think somehow if we just keep them on the inside, God doesn't know about them. Obviously, that's not true. And so it's, it's interesting to, to see where this man is at. He has a real relationship with the living God. He's, he's willing to be honest before God. And we saw him in the belly of the great fish. And if you remember, look back in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Don't look at me. Look in your Bibles. There's no slide for this. <laughs> chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So here he is. It's a very positive a very praiseful kind of prayer that salvation belongs to the Lord. He deserves all the credit. By contrast, this chapter, this prayer in 4.2, it's negative, it's defensive, but at least it's honest. And so you circle those five uh, first-person pronouns, I and my, that are found in the Hebrew text. As we often say, the heart of every problem is a problem of the human heart. That is certainly true. So Jonah's motive in fleeing Tarshish becomes known. He was afraid that God would repent, that he would relent, that he would spare these people, and therefore all that God had said about these people concerning the future of Israel and them would indeed come true. Now that leads third and finally to Jonah's foolish request. Jonah's foolish request. Look, if you will, now uh, at his request of God in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. 
God, you didn't do what I thought you should do. Nineveh was not overthrown as I thought they should have been. And because you did not do what I wanted you to do, I'd rather just be dead. He despairs of life. By the way, there was another prophet who did the same. We studied him not long ago, the prophet Elijah. Both prophets became deeply discouraged. Both believed that what God had done through their ministries was not what he should have done and what they wanted to see happen. The prophet Elijah wanted to see a complete and total revival. By contrast, the prophet Jonah wanted to see a complete and total destruction. Elijah did not die under a juniper tree, and Jonah does not die under his prepared plant that we'll study. Elijah was taken to heaven with a chariot of fire, and before we're done, we're going to see that Jonah learns the lesson that God wants him to learn. But for right now, Jonah is very upset because God's plans don't fit with his plans. And the repentance and the salvation of the Ninevites is so painful to him on the inside, he'd rather die than just have to live with that reality. Think we have any Jonas here today in the American Evangelical Church? Let me bring it down to where we live. God reveals to you from his word that your satiation with physical things, buying and selling and acquiring, supersedes your obedience to give the first tenth to the living God as the church believed is unquestionably true for 1,900 years of church history. Though occasionally you'll meet someone today who says, well, that was just for the Old Testament. I have messages on that. But God, I love my lifestyle. And I don't want you to touch my lifestyle. Or your superior officer comes to you and says, I have a move for you, and this is where you're headed. You know God works through authority, and yet you really have come to like living in this community. And you go kicking and screaming with a bad attitude. Or your husband comes home from work and says, Honey, you know I've been praying about this for several years. I believe God wants me to quit my job and go to seminary, and we need to become missionaries in Latvia. Latvia? I don't even know where Latvia is. I mean, couldn't we be like a missionaries to Jewish people in Miami Beach or maybe have a, a, a ministry to all those pagans in Hawaii? Why Latvia? And we crucified Jonah and we rake a guy like him over the coals when in reality, many times we are dealing with the same issue. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for death is better to me than life. It's rather ironic his best prayer was from the most horrible place he could be in, in the belly of a great fish, and his worst prayer is in the best place he could ever be, for he saw a national revival. And yet he's depressed, he's despondent, he's in the absolute pits. Lord, take me home to heaven, I just would rather die. But because God is a great teacher, and he's patient with his children. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he's a magnificent counselor. Notice verse 4. God comes with a question. 
The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Now that's good counseling. Jonah has a tremendous amount of theology as we've seen. And God doesn't throw 19 verses and 10 Christian books at him. His problem is not with a problem of knowledge. It's a problem of application. It's a problem of perspective. And we'll dig into that further as we work through the chapter. God is asking a question. And in essence, he's, he's questioning his perspective. Jonah, we're looking at the same awakening. And I'm excited. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. And by the minute, you're growing angrier. Jesus looked over the rebellious Hebrew people in his century, and he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Paul walked around the city of Athens where there was more gods than there were people in statuate form. And his heart was broken. His spirit was provoked within. And when Jonah looks at the city of Nineveh and their repentance, he's angry. And God says, look, we're looking at the same thing, but we have two very different perspectives. And Jonah's perspective is warped. He's being driven by emotion when he really needs to bring his emotions under the authority of truth. You can have truth, but if that truth is not governing your feelings, then you'll live by your feelings rather than by the truth of Scripture. And so he's bitter. He's angry. Any bitter, hostile, angry people within the sound of my voice today? Anyone bitter because maybe God took your child? Anyone bitter here because your spouse left you when you were faithful and did nothing but care for that spouse? Anyone bitter because you didn't get the promotion that you thought you should get, that you were more worthy, and someone else got it in your place? I've had parents come into the office over the decades. I don't know what else I could have done, Pastor. We brought the boy to church. We prayed at every meal. We read a Bible story at night. What else could we have done? And look at him. He's gone in the opposite direction. Many times, as the counseling unfolds, you discover they did the right things with the wrong attitude. That there was bitterness and anger underneath. And I'm telling you, when you have bitterness and anger in your heart and that rules your life, it's the perfect formula for a rebellious child. And that's why we find other Christians who maybe didn't do it so greatly. And maybe they didn't even have the, the, the same knowledge that you had and the same truths that God had entrusted to you and that their kids turned out far better because they weren't driven by bitterness and anger. Now, that's not the only reason. But that is often a reason. Jesus made this statement in Luke 6.40. A pupil, you could render it a disciple. It's the word mathetes, the learner. 
It's a word that is typically translated disciple in the New Testament. That's what a disciple is, a learner. It's not always used, of course, of true believers. It's used differently in different contexts, but a pupil is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so as a pastor, I do a lot of, obviously, marital counseling and even premarital counseling. And especially in premarital counseling, one of my concerns uh, is the reactions and the attitudes that a potential spouse brings into the marriage relationship. And if they were brought up and raised in a home where there was a lot of bitterness and anger, a pupil, when fully grown, becomes like, in this case, his parent. And if they bring that attitude into the marriage, it is potentially a formula for disaster. It needs to be rooted out. God has to change it. And before he can change it first, there has to be an admission of the problem. doesn't matter what a rascal your father or mother might have been like, how unfaithful they were. The fact is, is that you are your own person and you have to deal with the bitterness in your heart. And two, you not only have to admit the problem, but you have to change your thinking because as a person thinks in his, within himself, in his heart, that's what he's going to become like. And third, there has to be a brokenness because if we think we can pull it off in our own ability, the truth that we know needs to be true, it's not going to happen. But unless there's confession, unless there's a renewing of the mind and a brokenness within things can't really change. But when there's bitterness and anger of heart, there has to be forgiveness. Paul writes to husbands, husbands, you ought to love your own wives as your own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now, I know he's addressing men, but the corollary is true because when you get married, you become one. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one, Jesus said. So what you do to your spouse, you do to yourself. And if you hold on to unforgiveness in your heart towards your spouse, it's going to be destructive to your marriage. Let's look at one more verse. I'll hold your finger here and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. If you're new to the Bible, just find Revelation. That's right at the end of the Bible. Scan back a little bit and you will come to the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment in verse 15 while we're on this subject of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Notice what he says in verse 15. We're in the applicational section of the book of Hebrews. And he says in verse 12, 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Now, please notice it begins with a command, see to it. In other words, we have to take responsibility that we grow in the grace of God and we don't grow in bitterness. And please notice that the writer is not saying, do not miss the grace of God in reference to salvation, but he's speaking here in terms of sanctification, of coming short of the grace of God. You are saved by grace, you cannot earn heaven, but he's not dealing here with justifying grace, if you know the context. He's dealing with sanctifying grace, growing grace. 
This is what Peter said in 2 Peter in verse 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some people can have had enough exposure to the grace of God to bring them over the line from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. But they haven't grown much in grace. So not only are we saved by grace, we're sustained by grace. And so the writer of the Hebrews says here, see to it that no one comes short. Again, he's not talking about losing your salvation. That's absolutely impossible. The writer of the Hebrews, and people love to use Hebrews 6, and yet 10 times in the book of Hebrews, the writer affirms the eternal security of the believer. And so it's just stupid and inconsistent exegesis to conclude from Hebrews 6 that you can lose your salvation. It's not actually speaking about losing salvation, if you've heard some messages on that. He's dealing with not conversion, but like this passage with spiritual growth. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness. Where does bitterness come from? A failure to forgive or a failure to believe. And so when we refuse to accept God's plan and God's providence, that he's really in charge, that Romans 8.28 is truly true, that he works everything together for good to those who are the called, the saved, that he's working everything together to shape us into the image of Christ. If we lose perspective, a failure to believe, or we have lost our ability to forgive someone else because we feel like they've injured us so much, then bitterness turns into a root of bitterness. Some time ago, I was uh, taking a vine out of one of the trees in our yard, and you know those things wrap up there, and of course, they can just choke and ruin a tree and kill portions of it. So I was pulling on it and pulling it, and finally got it down to the ground, and, and then I started taking it out of the ground, and I just kind of walked that thing, and it just like, where's this root gonna end? By the time I was done, there was a 15-foot trench of destruction. And it just reminded me that that's what bitterness is like. It just leaves a a trench of destruction. We use that old saying, one one bad apple destroys the whole barrel. Well, a root of bitterness will not only wreck your life, you can wreck the lives of people who are around you. And you can come short of the growing, sustaining grace of God because of an, uh, an unwillingness to forgive. And so here's God back in the book of Jonah asking his prophet a very simple question. Do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have reason, good reason, to be angry? There is a righteous anger. Scripture speaks of it. And so Paul says in Ephesians, be angry but sin not. But he's asking his prophet, do you have good reason to be angry? And let me just say, while we're here, if you're dealing with anger because of an unforgiving spirit, Paul says in Ephesians, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as, just like God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Sometimes people want to hold on to their unforgiveness. And they'll punish their mate through silence. 
They'll just give them the silent treatment. Or they'll punish them from withholding physical affection or any number of things. And they are showing an unwillingness to forgive. And can a Christian withhold forgiveness and be considered a true Christian? Yes. That's why he's commanding the Ephesians who are saved, who've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He reminds them to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just like God has already forgiven you. Typically, however, there's this balance here in so many of these truths in Scripture. Typically, a person who is only characterized by unforgiveness is a lost person. And so Jesus can say, if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And if you know that verse of Scripture contextually, he's not saying you earn forgiveness by showing forgiveness, but he's saying if you are a forgiven person, then you will forgive others. And so he goes on and he tells, if you remember, the parable of the unforgiving slave. And when he brings it to a close, he said, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave even as I had mercy on you? His Lord was moved with anger. And he handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed him. And then he concludes the parable with the words, so shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So forgiveness on the one hand is the mark of the new birth, but on the other hand, it's a mark of someone who's walking closely with the Lord. And so look, as you walk through this life, people are gonna hurt you. And you have to carry forgiveness in your heart and you'll develop bitterness and anger if either A, you don't believe God is sovereign over all the details of your life and Jonah needed to see the sovereignty of God over the Ninevites or if you are indeed unforgiving towards someone else. I've heard some real wackos in our day say, well, we need to forgive God. That's blasphemy. Yet that has become a popular teaching amongst a number of women teachers in our country. We need to forgive God. We don't need to forgive God of anything because God is absolutely holy and he never does anything wrong. But there is a decision here. See to it, the writer of the Hebrews said. This is a command. Why does it come in? Because there's a certain pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season. That's what makes it a temptation. But if we live out this temptation long enough and we choose not to forgive, it will destroy our lives, destroy our families, destroy our ministries, and disqualify us for usefulness. So it all comes down to God's grace melting your heart, and that's what he's trying to do with Jonah. And we've just cracked the door here. Do you have good reason to be angry? Can God run your life better than you can? See, God knows what he's about. Amy Carmichael, she lived some 80 years ago. She served as a missionary in India for 55 years. She cared for children that were dying in the streets daily, brought them into her orphanage, shared Christ, clothed them, had a phenomenal impact. And from her own life experience, she wrote these words. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should be amazed, 
Watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects, how he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him. How God bends but never breaks when his good he understands, how he uses whom he chooses with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he is about. And God knew what he was doing with Jonah. And God knows what he's doing with us. And we have no right to be angry. Theologically, incredible prophet. Experientially, at this point in his life, he's lacking greatly. Now, that's the first course in the Jehovah Theological Seminary. We have two more. And if you're carrying bitterness today, you can jettison it. And if you feel like God's dealt you a raw deal, you can confess your unbelief and ask God to forgive you and to go forward from this day on. But you cannot experience the sanctifying grace of God until you first experience the saving grace of God. And you must come broken as we studied in Romans this morning, recognizing your obedience to the laws of God cannot save you, but only the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ. Call upon him, and he'll receive you today. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you for this prophet, for the timeless lessons that we learn from his life. Help us not to miss them. Help us not to see that this is truth for another people, for another age that this is not simply what you have said, but this is what you are saying. So help us to examine our own hearts this morning. If there's something that we need to personally deal with that is making us ineffective, then help us to deal with it. And as we look back, maybe there's some great failure in our life because we weren't really walking with you as we should. And if that's the case, then help us to recognize it that today can be the first day of the rest of our lives. We thank you for your incredible grace in Jesus, how you as a holy and righteous God can impute the very righteousness of Christ to our account. Though we don't deserve it, you do it by your grace when we receive it through faith. So help someone today to say in simple childlike faith, Lord Jesus, save me. And help us, our Father, in these days ahead, especially as we approach our Easter bloods, to not be smug and uncaring, as sadly the American church is, and you know that. But help us to be compassionate and caring for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Help us not to be comfortable under our own plant just because everything seems good. But help us to care for others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God does not make mistakes. He is perfect and holy. His will for our lives is best. And we ought to live a life of obedience to Him for His glory. 
If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchofscriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program Jonah 007. Maybe you would like to listen to Dr. Brogy's messages offline. You can do that by downloading the Search the Scriptures app found in the Apple and Google Play stores. Just type Search the Scriptures and look for the blue icon with the white triangle. On the app, you can download messages to listen anywhere or anytime. Join us tomorrow on Search the Scriptures as we begin a new message in our series on Jonah in chapter 4.